The Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. What's up, Mike? Hey, Chet, how are you? We are recording. We are recording. I got Yet ca- another episode of the Dark Art Society podcast. I've got caffeinated water today. I'm so excited. Oh, you're back on your caffeinated water kick? Yep. Yeah, I love my caffeinated water. It's the best. Yeah, I won't. I won't touch that stuff. I don't know why. I love it. It's like you. It's I don't like really have a good reason for you it. You drink water, and it's like all of a sudden you drank two cups of coffee. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> so we'll see how it affects the podcast today. Yeah, right. You'll be motor mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it'll be. It'll be hard to get a word in edge, edgewise between the two, me and you. I'm already yeah, stammering. I don't know. We'll we'll find out because we have <laughs> an amazing guest today, and and maybe she will talk quite a bit as well. Yeah, that's she. She's a talker too. You know, she she's a talker too. So it's going to be a crazy one. Yes, today we're just skip our I, I skip everything and go straight to the uh, wonderful guest we have today, and that's the amazing Ave Rose. Woo! Hey guys. Hello. Howdy, Hi. howdy. Nice seeing you. Man, I asked you guys to have that special intro of the like rolling drums, and you guys promised me all this stuff, and now it's just well, we yeah, what's going on here. We just promised that <laughs> to get you on the show, and <laughs> once we we had you on, we were like, "Fuck it." <laughs> <laughs> you? <laughs> no, no, this is this is great. Yeah, Avi's an amazing, multi-talented artist. She she does like it's it's better to ask you what you don't do, really. I mean, you do sculpture. <laughs> Kinetic sculpture, uh, dancing, singing, acting. You've been on TV. It's crazy. You're like a, a multi, super multi-talented uh, person. You've just got to do what you can do these days. Yeah. Because um, as an artist, um, there's that one thing might not get you pay the bills. You know, you have to do whatever you can. And I never believed in that saying you know jack of all trades but master of none who says you can't be the master of everything right <laughs> master of all trades yeah <laughs> yeah and congratulations on your sale on your uh, oh thank you dude, that was awesome yeah you know the the butterfly do you know mike the butterfly dream machine she had uh i i'm not familiar with that piece it no. was it was was it in was it in last year's conjoin it was no, it was just there for the Guillermo del Toro. Oh, okay. um, yeah, so you didn't see it. It's so amazing. It's this big, like I don't know what you <laughs> used a terrarium or something for the case. It's called the um, Butterfly Dream Machine, and it's this giant, um, basically terrarium that's filled with twenty of the world's largest butterflies. And there's a giant crank, and you crank it, and it, oh, and then the butterflies fly. Yeah, and the wings oh, flap. Wow. It's so cool. Oh, it's it's amazing. really, yeah. really amazing. Amazing I'm kinetic sculpture. I'm kind of sculpture. known for bringing dead things back to life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love the the one. Um, I don't remember where I saw it. It was it was at a designer con at your booth with the little uh, the dancing guy. Oh, the dancing. Um, her name is Miss Fish out of Water. It's so and cool. And she's a blowfish. So. so <laughs> amazing i mean this is the kind of stuff i would want to do if i wasn't doing what i'm doing it's like i I really love that you know kinetic sculpture and taking uh toys and re 
dr- dressing them up and putting new heads on. It's so cool. His thing like yeah, dances. Cool. It's so funny. It's, it's like really dances fun like this. reanimating <laughs> things, and it brings a lot of whimsy to the to what some would call the darkness. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what that that's what I thought was interesting because I wasn't sure. I'm like happy to be a part of this because it's like now I can say that I'm something because it's it's hard to really identify with something when. It's I make I you know I'm using dead things I'm using animals right. and so it creeps people out yeah, but to yeah. me they're so funny and fun that yeah. I don't see the dark part yeah you know? <laughs> and beautiful and beautiful you know dark, dead stuff is really I I've always I remember you know I, I thought I thought about this back when I was working in the film industry and we would use uh, <clears throat> research books on cadavers and stuff to for for makeup effects and some of the colors of dead bodies i know it sounds creepy and weird but they're really beautiful colors that's oh, yeah, really for sure you know and th- the way things wrinkle and stuff and when they die it's just all of it's so kind of uh aesthetically beautiful i think you know yes mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. that's what's important to focus on is to be able to take something and see it in a new light because that's what drags everybody down is that people when they're growing up and they have this whatever traumatizes them when they're little who Mm. whatever an education happens in their brain they hold on to the dark and scary things and then they they tag that onto everything that they see and it's hard for them to retrain their brain to say you know this you know this is a bird skull and it's beautiful and it does represent a bird when it was alive but it doesn't represent a bird being destroyed. It doesn't have to be that way because we all die. Mm -hmm. Right. And there are worse things in life than death. That's true. That's true. You know, I I heard Chris Haas once say to me that the reason he likes to play with dead animal stuff is because when he was a little kid, he would find a dead animal and feel so bad and want to bring it back to life. He'd be so sad that this animal is dead and he just wanted to like take care of it and like fix it. Like, no, I'll help you. I I know your neck's broken, but I'll, I'll fix you up. So as an adult now, as an artist, that's what he does is he takes these things that he finds and he dresses them up and gives them life again. So, and I see uh, some similarities certainly between her work and his work. I mean, they're very, they're very different in their own ways but yeah, like but, last year for instance I conjoined there's a couple pictures of me just standing there staring at one of your pieces your pieces oh, here and, I just, and we're just looking at each other you know because that was <laughs> one of the pieces that really caught my eye mm-hmm. and and it's because like Chet said it, you're doing the kind of stuff that I like to do I mean I've got right over here are my handfuls of chicken bones you know oh. so <laughs> yeah your studio from like- your chicken dinner last night <laughs> <laughs> that's from a chicken dinner from about 11 years ago <laughs> they've been charging in a, a ritual satchel for about 11 years and now i'm pulling them out and using them <laughs> yeah your studio looks amazing i mean it's, oh, it's like a, an art piece in itself it's really you cool you guys both have to come oh yeah it's, i know i know i know i know people always say they go to the museum because i'm in culver city so people always go to the museum of jurassic technology and then right. they come to my oh cool uh, <laughs> yeah you can start charging it's, it's amazing it's like it, it looks like it looks it looks like uh the Mütter museum or something you know yeah, what I mean? It's just got. It's pretty insane. Imagine From a four bedroom like- house, wall to wall full of antiques, oddities, paintings. There's no bare walls. Yeah. The ceilings are covered. <laughs> so it's cool. like the scene in Gremlins when they go down in the basement of the curio shop. You know, that's what it looks like. Best compliment I got. The best compliment I got is somebody came in and he said, "You know what's crazy is I came here like 20 years ago and I lived across the street from the." Um, what was that? Um, the Jim Henson studio. And all he wanted was this tour because he would expected it to be super magical. And it was magical, but not to the extent of what 
his imagination created. Right. And he said, this looks like what I imagined the Jim Henson studio to look uh, like. And I like, cool. yes. That is a good one. <laughs> that is My a good best one. Compliment ever. So you, you must be like very organized or something. Cause, cause if I had, I mean, my studio looks a little bit like that, but just fucking a chaos version of that. <laughs> just a wreck. But yours is always, I mean, do you always keep it so cool it's looking? The thing is, is that I am not, well, I shouldn't say I'm not a true artist. That's, I guess that's my own demon in my, in my head. Yeah, that's I do not, not true. know how to sculpt. I do not know how to paint. And my medium is whatever's in my room. And as I've heard, I was listening to the Liz McGrath one. And it was kind of funny because you guys kept forgetting what you were saying. Uh, and that's what I'm kind of dealing with uh, now as I'm getting older. Yeah. I used to remember everything oh, and now really? I just don't remember anything. And if it's not in front of me, if it's in a box, I'm not, it's right. not, it doesn't exist. Yeah, so yeah. everything out that you see is not me being, or well, it's me being organized, but it's not me being like decorating. It's me like, I'm going to use this stuff and I need to see it to be able to know where everything is at. Yeah, that makes sense. So, that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like when you, you, you know, you may be messy, but you know, you where your paints are and your paints are right. in front of you, you know, where every color is. Right. Right. And so imagine that if instead of colors, it's old doorknobs, old, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> <laughs> light bulbs, every screw that I use is, is something that is potentially what I'm going to use in art. And I need to see where it is. Actually check this out. Well, people can't see this, but I'll just describe, <laughs> you describe it. it. Yeah. So it's so um, cool. Looking. Can you guys see this? It's a, it's a, basically a little house filled with uh clockwork oh yeah. wow cool Can amazing you see that? yeah 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 so guess yeah. what that, i have to turn that into before i end up using it i have to turn it into that whoa, whoa. oh wow wow Can you see that? yeah yeah oh my god because if it's in the watch i can't i don't know what i'm gonna use so everything i have to when i get something i have to dismantle it and part it out wow and then, you know yeah <laughs> that's so cool i i, I uh I think it, maybe you mentioned this in the documentary that I used to take things apart all the time. I mean, that's mm -hmm. one of one mm -hmm. of the things. Your mom talks about you that. taking your bike apart. Yeah, I used to take everything apart, everything. So, I mean, were you always that way or is this just something that you had to start doing to create your work? Oh, no, I, I've always been the kind of person to be really curious and take things apart. And I think that's what's kind of scary about this new world is um, I can't look at an iPhone and know how it works. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Can't I can look at a apart. toaster, take it apart and be like, oh, I know how this works now. What if I can make something else that needs a pop-up mechanism? Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's hardware versus software. And software to me, like my daughter is a programmer. Oh, my daughter's cool. 21. Oh, cool. She's cool. a programmer. And she's trying to explain things to me like <laughs> Bitcoin. And I'm sitting there freaking out thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be one of these bitter old ladies disconnected from the world. because. And understand this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's really a new, it's another language. But that's kind of what makes, you know, work like yours that much more special is that, you sure, know, it's, 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 Thank it's, you. it's coming from an, uh, uh, you know, a soon to be bygone time in a way, you know, where everything's in the cloud and everything's going in the cloud and you can't touch anything yeah. and you can't see anything. And you can't, you know, it's only the people that have the technical knowledge can build this stuff. So this is really, right. you know, really cool. I think that's cool about, you know, all the art we art in general that we're doing is it's handcrafted, you know, and mm -hmm. it's physical and it's tactile and you can touch it and see it and walk around it, you know. Yeah, it was weird. I went to um, Stanley's Comic-Con. I had a booth at Stanley's Comic-Con in Los Angeles and it was super strange because 90% of the booths were enamel pins or um, 
3D printed stuff. Right. Mm. Yeah, stuff that they didn't really make in a way. Yeah, it <laughs> was know? super strange. Yeah, what a true. So, well, that's their well, thing. And, and I think also thing. it's like one of the things that's cool about what she's doing is this repurposing, you know, and I love that too. That mm. That's what gets me excited because I even like to have less because then I'm forced into this constraint of like, well, I only have these four gears and these five yeah, screws. So exactly. fuck, what am I going to do with this? You know, that's fun. But then also there's like this playland in your world there where it's like, oh my God, what I would do, you know, to get <laughs> exactly. lost it's in that stuff. It's a game I play with myself, actually. It's a, <laughs> that sounded weird. No, it's a game. <laughs> Chad had said those exact same words and then, t- and then I wrote them and he was like, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> that so it is. It's a game that you play by yourself. Okay. Yeah. No, yes, exactly. <laughs> I do this thing where, because I, I'm, you know, I make a living off of being an artist and most of my money comes from these trade shows or my Etsy store. And so what I do is every time I have a trade show, um, I have this ritual where, yeah, you know, I have to make the, you know, I have to make the, the all time favorites cause people are going to look for it. But I like to, um, reserve a couple of hours to just look around and see things that I've had in my house for too long. And I say, no, you got to turn that into something. Mm-hmm. You got to turn that into something. And, um, it's kind of fun and it works out. The only downside to that is, um, it's it's interesting. There is this thing I wanted to talk to you guys about. It's me last year versus this year. Uh, and uh, interrupt me if I'm talking, saying too much. No, but um, it's your show today. Last year, I felt kind of lost. And it was all because of this one post that popped up on my Facebook. You remember, you know how Facebook like will say, this is you from last year. Right. This is something from 10 years ago. But it was one of my first pieces. And it was like, remember this from like 2010? And it was so beautiful and so intricate compared to some of my newer stuff. And it dawned on me, like, I am making things less, I wouldn't say less interesting because gr- I've grown to own it now. But at the time last year, this time last year, I fell into a deep depression because I realized that living as an artist, I have to kind of cater to what's going to sell or I won't pay my bills. And the mm. more complicated and intricate something is, the more expensive uh, it has yeah. to be. Yep. That's why. I, so I, yeah. That's why Go I on. stopped doing sculpture myself, is because it was so expensive. Because I started out, I wanted to be a sculptor in fine art. You know, I think we just talked about this in the last episode, and I ended up going mm-hmm. to paintings because, yeah, it's it's so much work, and and it's hard to sell sculpture. Yeah, yeah and, you know, the more intricate it gets. Yeah, and the more, especially the more, with your stuff. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. And um, I first started out doing miniature work and I would make tiny little robots out of uh, watch parts and they're called watch bots and mm-hmm. they're no bigger than a quarter, but they're so wow. detailed and so intricate. And I would make their whole, where they live, what they do. And um, you'd have to be able to sit there with a magnifying glass to see all the work. Right. And, um, but the average person at the gallery is not going to look at all that. And then they might mm-hmm. see as opposed to a whole city full of watch bots, you know, riding butterflies and creating things, just seeing one giant da- dancing skeleton is a little more impressive to them. Right. But it's mm-hmm. less work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so you, it broke my heart a little bit, realizing that I was kind of becoming a, a factory in a way right. just to survive. Yeah, but that's, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, you know, yeah. that's that's part of why I crank out these studies, you know, so I can make a living. And uh, I, I just try and focus on the, the good side of that, which is for me, it's like a lot of it's practice and, and you know, people and like connecting it. with people yeah, who can afford exactly. artwork, right? Yeah, 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 that, yeah. Make, that makes it all kind of. That makes it all worth it is, to, is it's affordable and people can own an original and, you know, it's interesting because, um, okay, I'm going to say something. And if you, if you think that, um, we need to cut it out, we might need to cut it out, but I, you've been on my mind since I first started my art career, because 
certain somebody, which I will not name, <laughs> used you as a big example of what not to do. Oh, really? Oh, you yeah. got to tell me whose name it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you later. I'll okay. tell you later. Um, because I produce too much? Yes. You, well, so these are the rules, supposedly, That's, right? You know, but you only have a solo show every two years. Yeah, I don't take that. I don't even take that as an insult. I, I understand it is an approach, but I think that I think my approach is more forward thinking and that's more like the old model mm-hmm. you know and, yeah exactly and it does work for some people you know i know there are some people there's you know it's it's cranked their prices up but the thing is is they don't have their a ton of people don't have their work in their home that's exactly what i was and gonna that's say, important to me you know what they he was saying or the person was saying was that <laughs> okay it's a guy <laughs> i think i know who it is actually <laughs> no, go ahead he was saying, you know you fled the market with your work and you show too much so that you can't you can never go past a certain price level but then as i was going this person kind of took me under their wing and as i was kind of working with them i started realizing that this model was almost impossible to achieve right. you know oh you know in five years your stuff should triple and in six years should, and then you know and then at some point people shouldn't be able to even afford your work and i've even been told you know no um the average person should only be able to afford a print the goal is the average right. person should only i know who you're talking about <laughs> i know who you're talking oh, about you do? i and, can just um, I, I have an idea now now that you say that it's like it makes sense i'll, I'll ask you after of, the it kind of breaks my heart to think that somebody like me couldn't afford my own work. Right. Right. You know I mean, what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, 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 for, you know, for me, it was like, I had to do what I had to do to make a living. And so I just went with that. It's I, what a, the direction I went, it was, was the only way I could go. The only way I could well, it's, afford Chad, to go. It's, yeah. It's obvious that, I mean, again, whether you're doing art or you're doing any other line of work, there's a cost benefit ratio mm-hmm. and you have to meet that cost benefit ratio in right. order for it to be tenable and sustainable. That's it. So you're going to do what you got to do. And, and I'm, I hear where you're coming from, or at least this individual whom we're not saying was coming <laughs> from. It is like Chet said, it's a business model, certainly, but there are myriad business models and furthermore, ones that have yet to be discovered. So ultimately whatever works for an individual, it's less of a concern, what it looks like in the bigger picture to other people, as much as what does it do for that person on a daily basis? You right. know? Exactly. Yeah. And the world is changing and we have exactly. to evolve with it. And there's so, and the, the other thing is like, I, I just think the future is smaller pieces, more affordable pieces, because there's just more and more people out there that want work. It's not so much, I mean, I can't rely on this small group of really rich collectors that are going to pay $20,000, $30,000 for every piece I do. It's, it, it's like, that's, that's a market that some people are in. I'm not in it. You know, exactly. I'm and in the market the I'm that, in that I can And here's be in. the thing that bugs me the most about it. You get somebody who has like a regular job or even an artist like us who's struggling, who if the, they had a piece by you, that would inspire them every day. Right. Or you get some rich person who doesn't know who you are, doesn't really know what they want. And they have a gallery curator convince them to buy our art because it's worth a certain amount and it's going to only um, increase in value and they keep it in their vault right. and ready to sell when it's time or something like that. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. that's bizarre. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that breaks my heart. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's the old, it's the old guard versus the new guard. And I, and it's, I think it's obvious which way it's going, especially cause I mean, I, I think if it is the person I think you're talking about, they don't produce very much work anymore or you don't, is it, is this person not producing that much? Oh, major this person work? is not an artist. 
Oh, oh, okay. I don't know who it is then. Mm. No, <laughs> the look on Chet's face right okay, there. Okay, now, now I think it might be one of two other people. <laughs> so funny. Hey, but, but, uh, uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, 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 it's working for me. I mean, the thing is, I have to work all the time, but right. my prices are going up. I keep raising my prices. So, you know, I don't and, know. you know, and besides the price game, it's you're not only are you surviving, but you're touching that many more people. Right. And it's just like, the you know, that putting that movie out right. is getting to know you and people be connecting to you. And that's what's really important about our dark art society. It's kind of like what the goth clubs were to me when I was in my 20s, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a place where all the misfits feel like they belong and they can meet other misfits right. and feel like um that they have a purpose. Yeah, and they're not alone, and and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they're not alone, and, and that it's not a bad thing, and that and to also embrace the weirdness too. Right. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Made a joke about oh God, people go there to be different, but then they just look the same. It's like yeah, to the average person that just looks like a bunch of people wearing black. But we're all so different. All of us goth people or dark people, like we're all dark arts, but look how different it is. I have flying butterflies right. that could be considered art because all the butterflies are dead. Right. You know, right. It's, it's a right. different twist. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. No, it's very true. It's very true. And I think inevitably what you guys are both saying and, and the reality of it is, is that, you know, you can buy in because you're just trying to hustle and, and make a huge name for yourself and make all this money. But what Chet just said a couple podcasts ago is that he came into this wanting what was it, Chad? You wanted you wanted to be respected in your field and you wanted to be successful in your field, right? right yeah, well, yeah. The, the third one of that wasn't to be extremely wealthy, you know? So your I intentions mean, going in are coming from a different platform than perhaps somebody who's coming in yeah. saying, I want to earn, you know? Right. And what we're doing here now also, as you said, Ave, with the, the Dark Art Society is we're creating a situation where we can all co-op resources. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when we look forward and we start to look at some of these very scary things that are happening with tax and with net neutrality and things in the world, you know, we're going to need to be able to already be banded together and have yeah. resources that we can share in order to help lift each other up, as opposed to, like Chet said, the old guard, where it's like, I got to stand on the backs of 20 people to get up right. high. Well, you know, the thing is, you can make a human pyramid and people can cycle through that, you know? Right. And so it's a different right. model. It's a new way. Yeah. Well, I was talking to Christopher Ulrich about this, um, and when he was painting in the... Um, how do you say that place? The rat skeller, rat skeller. Yeah. 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 Rat skeller. Rat skeller. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he wanted it to be a place where we gathered, but it, it led to this conversation, which I think is really important. Like every important movement. I went to UCLA for English lit. So what do I study is like the, the important movements throughout history. Uh, and this is this art, this dark art society that you guys are creating that we're all a part of. It's not just important to identify dark art or art that people aren't necessarily, um, understanding or you know you know know about but it's important that we get together as a movement to stand up against what's happening and you know because we're kind of like-minded right absolutely yeah yeah so the fact that we can either gather and pull our resource together it's not like we're just pulling our resource together to like make another sale right we're putting our resources together so that people 20 years from now can say that was a movement that they that made this difference right absolutely absolutely yeah totally agree and that's you know uh, price. You can't put a price tag on that, you know. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I, and and I, you know, I I maybe I'm an optimist, but I think that um, we can all make a decent living, which I think is what most artists I know want to make. Nobody wants a Ferrari that I know. Everyone just right. wants to make Money a living. Money comes and goes. 
and and, and enough to enough to make their art and not have to worry about their bills. And I don't think mm-hmm. that's a huge thing that we can't achieve. I think it's totally achievable, and it's and it's a balance of you know uh, selling and doing what we're doing, and and it all kind of feeds itself in a way. You know, right. I, I I just think that that a, a abundance will come with with this whole thing for everyone. Well, there was something you, you know? guys said. I think it was. You guys sometimes sound the same when I'm listening to the podcast, so I don't know. I think it was Chet, but one of you guys said something really freaking important in one of the podcasts early on where you said that, you know, sometimes, you know, as artists struggling, we do like to make fun of, you know, the rich people and make them seem bad because there are so many bad rich people right now. Right. But it also paints a paints a, a negative light on people who are rich. Well, why don't we train the new artists to play this stupid rich getting rich game? But to use that to, to do good things. Absolutely. I mean, right. yeah, exactly. You don't have to be a good person to be, you don't have to be poor. To yeah, be good. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can, yep. uh, you know, take, take the, you know, get, get rich. Everybody get rich and, and do good things with your money. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? That's, that's going to make a big difference as well. It's like, it's, it's well, all- just think about if the whole Hollywood set came together and actually did something good with all that fucking money. I mean, tell me that we're not living in a corpocracy and that it's, that's not what's going on. So if they all pooled their money for something good, as opposed to something selfish, then there would be an opportunity for big change to happen. It's all about the money. You yeah. Know? So yeah again, and it's it, all it about is about the stupid attention. game. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's what's disheartened me about the the whole art industry is, you know, I work my butt off and I want people to see my art and, and make a decision for themselves that they like it and that there's a lot of hard work going into it. Not having, you know, not just bragging and convincing people that it's good because I say it's good or some like, you know, new car salesman curator saying that it's worth a certain amount when it's not. And it's always the people who aren't as talented or in my eyes, not I wouldn't say as talented because that's like beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Right. Right. But not as hardworking or putting their heart and soul into it. Mm -hmm. And like you say, that they're more ego than than work. Right. And it sucks that those are the people who get far in this industry because they know how to play the game. Yeah. What we've got to do is we've got to treat it sounds shitty, but I'm trying to picture us as an army. So it's kind of an army. And you, me, and I, like, we're all, we're trying to train. We're kind of in the, in the battle right now. Mm -hmm. And these up and coming artists, they're, 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 they're coming and looking upon us and seeing what's happening. And so it's important to say, you know what? Don't be afraid to play this shitty game. Like, do you go and you go in and you talk the talk. You don't have to be humble. Right. You know, that's what sucks. It's like the most, the coolest, like Christopher Orlick, for instance, he's like the most humble artist, true master of his work. And yeah, I think, have to learn how to talk to talk. Right. You know? I, I think I, I think you can still be maintain humility and still be confident in what you're doing. Though. Yeah, you know and that's what I, mean? what I would say too. Totally. Yeah, you don't have confidence to and ego are different things. But right. you have to admit that you're good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That your work so, that your work is worth good something. Artists, brilliant you know? artists cannot are telling me that they're you know I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Right. Or, you know, right. Blah blah blah. You have people, you have to present yourself in a way that you know my uh, my work is good. You know, you have to yeah. even more than I, w- but I would say even more than presenting yourself that way, you actually have to feel that way. I mean, yeah, really, because right. if you want it to work, it's not even just about walking in and speaking right and dressing right and looking right and saying the right things at the right moments. It's actually about the energy that's generated when you believe in yourself mm-hmm. and you actually garner that level of confidence. You will go in and to transform situations without being an egotistical prick because you fundamentally have generated a wealth of power that you're drawing upon because you first and foremost believe that 
That's true, but here's here's a perfect example of what what I'm describe what I'm talking about is okay. I make jewelry as well, and that's kind of like my bread and butter, mm-hmm. and it's miniature versions of of you know my bigger sculptures that people could afford. And someone would come to my booth and say have you know have a hard time deciding between two pieces, mm-hmm. and they'll say, oh, you know, what which one should I get? And one piece will be like thirty five dollars, and one piece might be like one fifty. Well, I would. It past Ave would be, well, tell them exactly what what's good and what's not, and not just try to make that $150 sale. Mm-hmm. Well, now I've learned, unfortunately, I'm going to look like such an a-hole right now, but <laughs> hey, this some is- people asking that question, they want to be told what to think in some cases. Like, I feel like the world, it's weird. People don't read anymore. People don't want to think for themselves anymore. And so if both of my pieces are both excellent and they can't decide which one, there's no harm in me saying the $150 one is good because it's it's more expensive because it's better. It's it's right. it has, There's more work into it. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to be so <laughs> humble and make, present both equally just because I don't want to think to myself like, oh, I'm p- trying to push the $150 one on them. Right, right. Well, this is... this is that person is asking, so yeah, why yeah. not? No, no, this is exactly this thing I learned from the... Um, uh, what's it called? It's the... that art marketing thing i was telling people yeah, about we, we posted that link on it on way the, back dark, when. the first dark yeah. art marketing one yeah it's uh maybe we could put a link again this time i forget what it's called but yeah, it's but it's I about go back and shop it it's out. about oh yeah cool it's about art marketing and this artist says he's a millionaire and he does you know his work is good but it's it's really nice pencil drawings Really, mm-hmm. but they're but they're nice. I mean, he can draw really well, so they're very detailed, kind of photoreal pencil drawings. Anyway, um, he said people people need a they need a reason to tell their uh, their spouses, their friends why the work is is worth so much money. So it's like it it, it requires a certain level of salesmanship and mm-hmm. telling them why it's good because they might be attracted to something, but they don't necessarily know why because they're not artists you know so it's Mm -hmm. it's it's important to tell them why you're important as an artist and why the work is important and what's and so that that so that when you know their neighbors like why did you just spend five thousand dollars on that you could say well it's because this guy did this and that or this girl did this and that and she does this and she's got this background and she put this much time and it's these materials and and then it's like, you know, it's a source of pride for them. They can kind of brag about it as well, you know? So, so yeah, it's true. It's really true what you're saying. You, you, you we know. just need to teach the people who are good people on the inside, who have humility to not be afraid to come out mm-hmm. because otherwise that's why what, that's why the art world is full of shitty freaking art because it is not necessarily the, the faults of the curators or the faults of the, the consumers. It tends to be that the people who aren't as talented are the ones who are going to put themselves out there. And I know. They know they're not sure. that good, so they sure. know how to convince people that their right. artwork is good. They're, and then the sure. people who are good, they're just going to say, oh, well, somebody who's going to discover me one day or somebody's going to see my artwork. Well, we've got to teach these people, like, please maintain your humility, but don't be afraid to go out there and play the game. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a really good point that you're making. Yeah. I agree. And, and there are some, you know, if you don't think it's true, look at, <clears throat> there are, um, there are some multimillionaire artists that I'll say, I'll say the name Michael Goddard is the guy I bring up who paints, 
I said it in the, I just did this uh, podcast for the painting loft, which is Scott Holloway and Jessica Perner's podcast. So there's a little shout out to them. We should put that in the link uh, thing as well, as well. What, 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 uh, so, but I mentioned that on the, on their podcast I did yesterday that this guy is a multimillionaire and he paints martini glass, olives, dancing olives and martini glasses on black. And for my taste, Ooh, dancing olives. <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's, I don't think it's good. You know, I don't think it's good at all, but this dude knows the marketing game and he's a multimillionaire. So mm-hmm. if you've got something that you really uh, think is good and believe is good, you sort of owe it to yourself to fuck my phone's going off. Sorry. Shit. <laughs> I don't know. You guys can't hear that. My phone goes. It's ringing. I couldn't hear it. Okay. I could feel the buzz. Yeah. yeah. Um, you kind of owe it to yourself to learn how to market and promote yourself because if he's doing it and he's not as good as you, there's no reason you can't be doing it, especially because your work's better. But it just it also shows how important marketing is. It's like it's really. You know, I hate to say it, but it's like a 50-50 game. It's like your yeah. work your work should be great, but your marketing should be just as good as your work is, you know? And that's yep. that's yep. just the world we live in. Nobody likes it, but that's the way it is. So we got to deal with it, you know? Yeah, and I think it's about re-educating the mind. Absolutely. Um, because I think what most artists are, I'm an introvert. People would laugh if you said that because I seem like such an extrovert. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize what the definition of introvert and extrovert is. And an introvert gets gets feels drained when they're more around more people mm. it doesn't mean they don't like people they don't right. like being around people they feel drained that's a great point Whereas extroverts get more energy the more people right. they're around and so i actually am social love being around people love being around big groups but it drains me to the point where when i do a show i need an equal amount of time completely alone that right. i spent talking to thousands of people right yeah but i think that people who are artists tend to feel like you know they're misunderstood. I did. They just don't want to be around other people. And so, how did they explain this to somebody? Well, I don't know if we, how to explain it, but maybe we can try to re have them retrain their brains into saying, "Look, you make this piece of art so you can connect with somebody. You mm-hmm. are pouring your heart into this, and you know you're you know you may be doing it for yourself, but you you know you want somebody else to see it and feel the same way, or to somehow feel healed Absolutely. if you're healing yourself by doing it." So maybe we can try to train these people to say, hey, you don't have to go out there to sell your artwork. You don't have to go out there to be somebody's best friend or be a hero. You know, why don't you just go and say, hey, you know, this is something that means this much to me for this reason, you know, and that's it. Something right. really simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, well, that, well, yeah, that gets back what to what you were saying. About, like, gets I think back what you guys are talking about is. <laughs> no, I'm just going to say that gets uh, just real quick. That gets back to what, see, it's the caffeine kicking it. That gets back into what you were saying, Mike, about, um, now I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say that it, that it does require a certain level, level of allowing yourself to be vulnerable, you know, and vulnerability is one of these things that we're all intimately terrified of to whatever yeah. degree. I mean, how often do we really allow ourselves to be that vulnerable? You know, maybe when we're doing our art, sure. And so if you're allowing yourself to be that vulnerable when you're doing your art, why should you not be allowing yourself to be that vulnerable when you're dealing with someone who may be interested in purchasing right. your art? Yeah, and you gotta and you gotta toughen up too. That's part of this. This it's a, such a tough business. As much as you got to be vulnerable and open and out there, you also have to accept rejection and not get you know not have it destroy you. That's really you know, so many artists I know just cannot take a criticism 
Or, well, here's another way to know? see it as well is um, for those of you who don't want to feel vulnerable, why don't you see it this way? People in general are idiots. And if you don't, <laughs> if you're afraid of somebody seeing your work and assuming the wrong thing, you know, if you're, you're afraid of somebody right. seeing your work and thinking it's shit, why don't you go in there and tell them then let them know that it's not shit for whatever reasons or tell them what to think because people want to be told what to think. So if you if you want to see it in a different way and not feel like you're exposing yourself and being feeling vulnerable, or, you could see it this way. There's a bunch of sheep out there who have the potential to be amazing people, but they're just waiting for somebody. So they could either be told to be consumers and that money is important and to be selfish or you can go out there and tell them what you think. And right. use your art as a, as a beginning of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, you know, that's maybe a, a, a more PC way of saying that also is that nobody is better than you. Nobody, you know, nobody's better than you. Because that's, I, I think as artists, a lot of times we tend to, you know, think that people, buyers or even other artists or anybody out there that like, I don't, I mean, I feel, I've felt this way all my life where everyone's like kind of better than you. And you, you know what I mean? It's like this insecurity and it's like, no, people are, people are idiots. I'm an idiot. We're all kind of like, you know, fallible human beings and you shouldn't be putting anybody up on a pedestal, especially, you know, people that you think are on pedestals, like, you know, galleries and buyers. These are all run by politicians. These are all human beings. And, you know, you should feel that's just goes back to the feeling confident about yourself and, and enough to like you're saying explain why your art is good and and stand behind that be able to stand behind that and it's so true and when i say people are idiots they (laughs) might be they might be the smartest person in the world in something else there's just so much to learn right just because somebody is uneducated in one thing doesn't mean that they're uneducated in everything but sometimes people are uneducated in what's important to us and so Mm -hmm. when you see somebody who's uneducated in the worst way that you feel don't be mad at them just take a stand and say hey they don't know this stuff right. they don't know any better mm-hmm. you educate them don't be mad don't leave them uneducated right, right. Yeah. it might yeah. not be their fault the way things are these right. days we're fed all this information yeah. that's just wrong right right well you know i i learned i learned something that i think helps any salesman and that they teach this stuff in courses and you can go to courses and learn this stuff but one of the most important things in selling anything whether it's a car or it's a table game at a casino or it's a piece of art is rapport the bottom line is you have to build a rapport with the individual whom is going to buy something from you and it will enhance your chances of selling whatever it is that you're selling period and it's not a matter of being a hustler it's not a matter of being being a charlatan it's a matter of building rapport and what that means and when i say vulnerability what i mean more than anything is less that you're like oh look at my guts they're so soft don't rip them out of me you know what i'm saying rather is that if you actually make an effort to connect with the person whom you're talking to, not just to, I mean, don't get me wrong. I hear where you're coming from. You do need to tell them, you do need to inform them. You do need to educate them, but you also need to connect with them. And the best way to connect with something is to actually engage it. And the best way to engage something is to ask it questions and to find out what it's about, because what people want more than anything is 
for you actually not to take, but to give, right? And so the, the thing about giving is it's a weird backwards deal. And a lot of it comes down to ultimately assessing the situation very rapidly. And so if you come into a situation and you look at someone, you can learn their, their learning mode pretty quickly. You can watch their mannerisms. You can watch their facial expressions. You can watch the way that they interface. And very quickly, you can learn certain things about them. And this is basic stuff you can learn in power and communication courses. But the bottom line is this. If you notice that when you're talking to someone, they like to stand shoulder to shoulder instead of face to face. It's because they're probably auditory in their learning mode. And therefore, it's probably better that if you stand off to the side of them and don't look in the eye and talk to them, they've got an ear on your voice because they want to hear what you're saying. They don't want to watch what you're saying. And if you see these things, you know, if someone shakes your hand and they really want to hold your hand and shake it a long time, they're probably kinesthetic. They like to feel, okay? You know, these are some basic things that they will teach you. And ultimately, it's not a matter of, manipulating and controlling somebody with this. Rather, it's bridging a gap. You see that, oh, well, this person's more comfortable if I stand off to the side, or this person's more comfortable if I stand face-to-face. It's like you would with any relationship or meeting a new person. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's about making that connection. And and you're putting yourself on the side. You're actually saying what's important to me is less important in this moment because it's more important to connect with this person. Right, right, right. And so, again, there's a level of vulnerability involved in that because you're actually stepping back. But you are then actually creating a connection where they're interested. So when you do speak, they're much more likely to listen. So then you can educate them. You know what I mean? Well, the thing about you saying being vulnerable is actually absolutely correct. But when I'm always thinking about retraining the brain, I try to steer away from things that initially when somebody's on the verge of opening their eyes for the first time, um, you might want, there's like baby steps. So ultimately what you're saying, Mike, is true. You, you, you have to be vulnerable to connect with somebody, but somebody who's, who's beginning this journey might be afraid, who might be afraid to be vulnerable. You know, you try to say, oh, or you can see this way, or you can see that way and get them just to start stepping. And then they realize along the path, well, oh, that was me being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all the same thing in a way. Yeah, yeah you know? I agree. Absolutely. Good point. You, there's one thing I did want to talk about with you guys, which um, I was listening to the Liz McGrath uh, episode podcast, and I just love her. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, but she did talk about something, and it was her gripe, which is my same gripe, Which, um, but I wanted to have my take on it, which is the uh, idea of people copying mm-hmm. or people not having. That's been coming you know, up. That's been coming up with me lately, too. I've seen, especially from the LA Art Show, I saw a couple things. I was like, what? Anyway, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> and, and it, you know, and it's kind of what you said. You said this is, in a way, this is just the way the world is. And there's that saying, there's nothing new under the sun. And there might be somebody who started something first. And when things come afterwards, some people may not be copying them. They might have seen other things that inspired them around the same time. Mm. Um, but it is, what really upsets me is that when people can't own up to the fact that they were may have been inspired somebody greater Absolutely. than them and not give sure, props sure. to that inspiration. Yeah, that's when it's bad. That's when it's really bad. So, I think that if we t- if we try to teach these new up and coming artists to say, hey, you know what? If you thought of a painting or you thought of a style independently and you discovered another artist later that had that style and they're bigger than you, you know, don't be bitter about it, but don't not don't ignore that because you may mm-hmm. or may not have seen them you may not or may not have been inspired their work so much of our of what's going on in our mind is in our subconscious right and yeah. so i think what you you should do is you should embrace it and you should talk about them you should say you know um oh this person is amazing i like it if you like their art 
Um, but it should all be talked about because that's what sucks is that, you know, there's all these copies, but they don't talk about each other. They don't say anything. And maybe they could actually influence each other, you know, sure. or if you are, if you're coming into the art world and you decide that you're, ha you have this style and you see there's somebody else or 20 other people that have that same style. Why don't you explore and put a twist on that style? Yeah. And you can yeah. still mention that person. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. That's, you know, the, you know that's, uh, we've talked about this before. I think, I mean, that's, I, I think, uh, admitting your influence is, shows a certain level of self-confidence in your own work. Like I'm not afraid to say I was in, hugely influenced by Frazetta and Giger and Bekshinsky big time. And, you know, I could name a bunch of other Brom, Chris Mars, these guys influenced me. And, um, but I feel like I've got an, enough of my own originality in there to where I'm not afraid of admitting it. You know, I think mm -hmm, probably mm -hmm. the ones that, don't want to admit it are the ones that know they're kind of getting away with something because they're not stretching themselves enough to really be truly original and unique. And I think that one of the things we need to um, promote as well is the idea of originality. It's really, really important to try, at least try your hardest to find yeah. a new spin on it. Even if we you're should, Exactly. We should challenge these new artists. Yeah, you know, right. you may be the biggest, you know, Kent Williams fan or the biggest, um, you know, um, what's her name? Camille Rose Garcia right. fan. But, um, and if your style, you know, resembles them strongly, but is different, strive for that difference. Right. Find that weird twist. Exactly. And, and then you say. can be a part of this art world with your own thing. And you can say, oh, that person was strongly influenced. That's different from being a straight yeah. up copy. And you'll, f and you'll yeah. feel, yeah. you'll feel so much better. You'll be able to kind of, you won't have to have that monkey on your back you know where you're afraid yeah. to talk about this thing you're you can openly talk about it and you could promote the person you know that you're you've been influenced by you could say yeah i love this artist this artist is amazing i'm very influenced by them you know otherwise if you're you know if you're kind of ripping someone off and you know it for whatever reason you haven't gone the extra mile to make it your own then and you don't want to say anything about it that's like this weird yeah, and you're only in the room, yourself. You know, that nobody, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You're shooting yourself in the foot because your longevity is over. You right. know, I mean, the only way you're ever going to hang around and actually continue to utilize this skill set that these people possess, clearly they're skilled, even if they're copying, they're still skilled. Right, right. They obviously have a voice. They could be doing the best thing they do, you know? Right. So the thing is, is that that's how longevity happens. If you actually find your style and your voice and you're actually able to harbor that and then engage that with an audience, you're going to be able to continue to do that for years and years. Whereas if you're just biting it, somebody you're it's it's an end game thing not long not yeah. long out it's you know? a smarter yeah. it's just a smart and you never know what you're capable of you have to give right. yourself more credit and even if you thought of something what if you if you felt you thought of something independently before at the same time before you even knew somebody else if you see somebody doing something so similar to you who's already made a name for yourself Challenge yourself to do something that's different. I, that's that actually a, happened to me. Yeah, that's when what I, I first started doing oh go on. No, no. I, I was just gonna say real quick, that's what uh I always say about Michael Husser and his little droplets of water. Remember how he would do little drops of water or drops of blood on all his paintings and he'd do these amazing little drops. It's like, I see all these people, it doesn't seem to happen as much anymore, but all these people were doing these little drops. And it's like he, whether you thought of the drops or not, he got there first. He owns the drops. So don't do the drops, do something like the drops. That's different. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, he already owns the drops. Tough right. luck. <laughs> and that, that, that same thing kind of happened to me. I started out, my art was those tiny miniatures 
those mm-hmm. tiny little robots I called watch bots. But from taking so many watches apart and kind of experimenting with clockwork, I thought, oh, man, I want to expand out. What else can I do? And I always loved dead things. So I decided at one point, oh, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to make biomechanical bugs. Uh, I'm going to cut open. And I made a couple for some friends. And then somebody said, oh, there's a guy whose name is Mike. Oh, shoot. Now I forgot his name. Well, we'll look it up and we can put him in there if you guys want. But Uh. there's a guy who's famous for that. And I looked at his page and his stuff was so beautiful and so perfect. And I said, well, that's already been done. Time mm-hmm. to think of something else. Exactly. Right. You know, imagine right. if I just decided, Oh, well, no, I thought of that. I, I didn't know who he was. I thought of that too. And just went along doing that. I would have been a completely different artist. Right. Right. Yeah. Good yeah. Point. yeah. Very good point. Yeah. I think that's just, that's just, you know, it's a personal integrity move too, you know, that you're, right. that you want to, you don't want to always, no, no, you go, you go. <laughs> uh, people always compare my work to Jessica Jocelyn. I didn't know who she was when uh, I, I never first even, started. I never even made the connection myself. Oh, thank you. Well, her stuff is <laughs> She's beautiful. great too, though. Yeah, she's great. And uh, when people made started saying, oh, this reminds me of Jessica Jocelyn, I looked at her stuff and I was actually so honored because it was so beautiful. Yeah, she's great. And, um, and then I realized, oh my gosh, she's been doing this stuff from since like the 80s or something. And it's magnificent. And I felt honored. But you know what? Just because I went through her page now, if I there, you know, I do feel like it's super different. But there was a piece where I realized I, it looks so similar to something that she did mm. that I even said, like, even though I started doing art be- like before I knew who she was, that particular piece, I thought, what if I was inspired by one of these things that actually kind of looks similar? Mm-hmm. So I said mm-hmm. I gave a shout out to her. Yeah, good. On my Instagram. Yeah. And people were like, nice. oh my God, thank you nice. for introducing me to her. And then the people who said, oh, oh, you know what's weird is I thought you were copying her, but now I realize you guys are just colleagues. Yeah, yeah. Honesty is, you know, just talk about it. Honesty is the best policy, I always say. Right? I, I, I want to uh, get a little bit back to, I want people to learn about your story as an artist, if we can. Okay. Um, I just want to know, like, how did you start doing this? When did you start doing it? What, why did you start doing it? And, you know, just okay. your, your story. Well, here's the story. Drum roll, please. <laughs> okay. Um, actually, I'm not a lifelong artist or at least visual artist. Mm. And I was so jealous because a lot of people in my family are. Um, I have so many crazy worlds in my mind that I thought as soon as I was old enough, I wanted to be able to paint this stuff. Like mm-hmm. my dad can paint things. My sister, Ranny, you know, Ranny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, you guys know who Sig Neutron is from face off. Ranny is his, um, partner and yeah. that's my little sister. Yeah. But she used to, she's um, cool. <laughs> she's great. paint these amazing murals on her wall. I didn't know later that it was all, she doesn't even paint anymore, but she's like, Oh, it's cause I used to do acid every day. <laughs> so I stopped doing acid. I stopped painting. Oh wow. But like to, that, to be able to paint just like that, because you feel like it, right. like I was so jealous. So I tried painting. I tried sculpting with like clay. I'm just terrible at that stuff. Right. And so I gave it up. I thought I'll never be able to be a visual artist. So I went into being an author. I went to UCLA for English lit. And then I started my own publishing company in the early 2000s and my the books that i published were uh, illustrated short stories mm-hmm. and so i was able to work continue working with artists because i would find artists to illustrate their work right. so then i um, opened up a space in the the hive gallery to showcase all the illustrators in my work yeah, cool. the whole time i just wanted to be a part of the art right. world even though i thought i never could that's what we're always talking about too is like find your niche you know just because yeah, you can't yeah. paint or sculpt and look at you you're a perfect Thank example you. of that. But anyway, go on. So Nathan, one day, um, Nathan said, oh, it's December and we're having a, an art show that's $50 or less. Everything's $50 or less. You should make a piece. And I said, oh, no, I, I don't know how to make art. <laughs> it's just, these are the artists I'm not. And Nathan was like, 
you're like the most artistic person I know, Ave. Why don't you just go and make something for the hell of it? Right. So I said, and if nobody knows this, Nathan Cartwright from the Hive Gallery, he's the curator. Yeah, he's and he's um, super cool. So guy. I decided. I sat around um, trying to think, what could I make? So I tried to make these little portraits of hot chicks because you know who doesn't like a hot chick? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I tried to make portraits of hot ch- chicks, and I thought they were kind of cool. And then my daughter came by and went. Oh, mom, how cute you're trying to paint. <laughs> not, the, not the response you were yeah, looking for. Yeah, so I threw those away. <laughs> then I had this dream. And I know you guys talk about dreams a lot. And dreams are very important yeah. in my artwork. Almost everything I make are, are directly from my dreams. Wow. But I had this crazy what dream of me paint, playing with little, like being a little witch and playing with little witch potions. Oh, cool. And having little glass, bo- like bottles with glass things in them. And I woke up and I realized it was a semi-dream. It was a dream mixed with my childhood memories uh. because that's what I used to do. I used to, I'm sure I'm five feet tall. So I'm close to the ground. I'm always finding cool shit right. <laughs> and I'm always picking them up and I still do. And when I was little, I used to put them in bottles and have them on display as my little like witch's cabinet. How cool is that? So I decided, look, awesome. I woke up and I said, what can I find to put in bottles and put them on display? So I went around looking through all my junk drawers and one thing I found were a bunch of old watches and I decided to take them apart and I saw little people's faces and arms. Mm. And so I just saw little people. So I looked up how to put them together and I made little people and domes, the watch bots. And um, when I, I created a little cabinet to start putting them up at the hive gallery. And as I was putting them up in the cabinets, people were like, what's that? And they, they were buying them before I could put them in the cabinet. Wow. They were just oh, like, wow something so cool and then and then um uh matt from the lose the jesus gallery mm-hmm. he was in there and i forgot that i had worked um with he was dating somebody that i worked with when i was a, i used to be a fetish model mm-hmm. surprise surprise mm-hmm. <laughs> um and he was like oh i didn't know you did art and he looked at them and he said would you like to be part of the um i think it's now called la Luza palooza but before it was called everything but the kitchen sink okay. show yeah right so he invited me to make a couple of pieces and I said, oh, shoot. Okay. So I made a couple of, I made like five pieces. And when I got there, they're already sold before the show opened. Wow. So you're wow. onto something. That's so, amazing. Yeah, so it was it's really amazing. weird. That's, and that's... from then on, they, uh, then they asked me, they were, I was part of, they, I guess they juror it, they juror it or whatever the word is. They mm-hmm. like pick the best ones and then they get to have a solo show or like a, I don't know, a, a group show where they're like more prominent. Mm-hmm. like in like five months later so i decided because people are so fascinated with my watch bots they wanted to know where they lived and what they did oh, so cool. i decided to make cities watch bot cities so cool thank yeah, you that's excellent yeah so did I you make stories watch- did you huh? make stories behind them too because that's at the be- time even though i was an author my i that's another thing my the stories i write are completely different they're so horrific oh, i'm okay. a horror author Oh, cool. And nothing ha- <laughs> nothing good happens to anybody, and right. it's full of misery. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe not so good for the watch bots. Just <laughs> be exercising my demons. I'll g- I'm going to give you guys some of the books. I'll send you guys the books. Oh, cool. I have like oh, nice. 20 books out. Holy shit. Um, I had no idea. I know. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Look, people, don't, people don't realize it's the same person because it's so different. Right. It's so dark. Um, but anyway, so for that show where I made Watchbot City, one of the pieces that I made, and this is how I got into kinetic art or moving art, is I sat there and I had all these dreams of the cities and what they were doing. And one of the cities was, or one of one part of that city was an airport. 
and it was called Butterfly Port, and the watchbots were riding butterflies. Yeah, how cool! Uh, and I woke up and I got, I went, oh man, it's too, if only that could, that could be real. If only I could make butterflies flying. Yeah, like that's gonna happen. <laughs> and I couldn't get out of my mind, and I thought, why can't I make that happen? And I think part of my charm is how naive I am. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So I went online. Yeah, it's very much like something a kid would, to me, it's like something, like a very childlike attitude. Because that's how I was when I was a kid. I would be like, how can I make this happen? And you just kind of figure out a way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think we all are. I was 14. We went to McDonald's and I cried because they they wouldn't let me into the play with those in the balls (laughs) with my sisters. (laughs) Because I'm like the oldest of my sisters. And I cried. I was 14 years old and I cried. Um, oh, do you guys remember the movie The Golden Child? Yes. With uh, Eddie Murphy? You see, oh my gosh, Mike, you have to see The Golden Child. It's so whimsical. But there's I don't a think I've ever it. seen it all the way You've through. You've never seen it? I don't you think guys I have. have to see the movie. There's a part in it where there's this Buddhist child and she touches a can and the can crumples up and there's this little stop motion segment where the can becomes a little can man and he does a tap oh, dance sweet. scene yeah, with a does. match with a match like as his cane, like a little Fred Astaire scene. Oh, cool. And my sisters and I thought, I, I, I pushed pause because we were like watching it on video and I pushed pause and I told my sisters, we're going to make this can. And I took a can, <laughs> I took a Coke can and I took a hammer and I took these, my, I'm from the Philippines and we had these cool little like chairs from the Philippines, like hand carved chairs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, we got in so much trouble. I put the can on the chair and I just started smashing it. I don't know what, I had no plan. <laughs> what happened. And my dad came down because of noise. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to make the can guy. He's like, you ruined the chair. Oh my God. The He's like yelling at me in Tagalog. <laughs> but anyways, um, I went online and um, I think the greatest part about my art is the optical illusion that I actually know what I'm doing. Uh. <laughs> Um, I found this amazing doctor in India. Um, I'll find him. I forgot his name. It's been so many years, but he taught, he teaches in his communities, children, how to make, how to make toys out of trash. Oh, cool. That's a great idea. So I was looking through all these like little like um, blueprints and I found how to make a bird fly using paper clips and a paper plate. Wow. And I said, (laughs) why can't I use that model? But use real, like real butterflies, and instead of like paper clips, like actual brass and wood. Right. And I experimented, mm. and I made it happen, and that was my very first moving sculpture: butterflies, uh, robots riding butterflies. That's so cool! Uh, how cool! <laughs> and then you just kind of <laughs> kept going with that because I stuff kept going with that because I kept and... having dreams of weird things like so dancing cool. and living, and it's a whole realm that I go to. I never have that. Damn it! Mike has the same thing. That's where I you can know. Definitely relate. Yeah, Mike is. That's like. It's interesting too because Mike feels like uh, he didn't have the the thing for painting or figurative type things, but he's got that desire to create, and he also does uh, uh, assemblage type art as well. And yep. and and you guys both go to the Dream World to get ideas. Yeah. I think it's fascinating because all my yeah. dreams are just so weird. I can't really translate them into cool paintings. <laughs> it's interesting though. It's like everyone's got their own process. Like it's so well, that's cool. how Triops is. Triops has the strangest dreams. You know, it's like my dreams run like movies, and every detail is like perfect. Uh-huh. Where Triops will be like a vase floating or oh, something. Really? You know, and I'm like, whoa, like yeah. it's, tri- it's all very like abstract and weird. Right, you know, right. that's more like mine are. Mine are more yeah. like just bizarre scenarios of people walking around, and I'm in like a weird warehouse and. It's just bizarre. It does but nothing cool like 
<laughs> robots on butterflies or anything. <laughs> right. Well, people like see my work and they always think, oh, well, did you go to, you know, did you have an engineering background? Mm-hmm. Do you know how, to, you know, are you a mechanic? Yeah. All this stuff. And the be- the beauty to my stuff is that I don't know anything, yeah, which makes crazy. me open to learning everything. Yeah. I would have uh, never, so cool. I would have never thought that. I would have never, I, it's like, I would, that's just blows my mind. That just blows my mind because your stuff is so, I mean, it works. I can't even figure out how you do half the stuff. Thank you. I taught myself motion mechanics through a YouTube channel. That's crazy. And it's and it's not because I sat there saying I want to teach myself motion mechanics. It's from every individual piece. I would have a dream of something and I would wake up and say, how do I make that happen? And I would just look up YouTube to, to YouTube tutorials oh, cool. on how to make that yeah, that's amazing. Like, come to life. Is so I cool. think if I did it the opposite, like, oh, I want to make a dancing skeleton, like, like I want to make this thing, like, let me learn how to like do these mechanics before I even start one dancing skeleton. You know what I mean? Like, I think it would freak me out. Right. Yeah. Well, you figured yeah, out a way. Yeah. You figured out a process that works for you, and that's you know that's what it's all about: figuring out what works for you as an individual and going with it. You know. Yeah, and not have you done any stop action, like stop action animation or anything? Because well, I mean, everything you do is obviously in that realm. So thank you. My greatest artistic influence is somebody whose name is Jans Fonkmeyer. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, it's Mike. Amazing. Mike's yeah, Mike's a huge fan as well. Oh cool. Too. You, are you excited about insects? Yes, <laughs> I wish I could have backed it, but I just didn't I didn't have, even know well, about don't that. Have any money? Oh, yeah, yeah, he did a Kickstarter movie, for this. Really? His last, if anyone's interested, look up Jan Spunkmeyer, and his last movie is about to come out, and it's called Insects. Oh, cool. And if you're curious about my work, if you watch any one of his movies, that's basically my aesthetic. I didn't do it on purpose. People right. kept pointing it out, and I realized I'm, I've been a fan of him since forever, and then I that was like the greatest compliment. Right. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, you don't know where your dreams are coming from sometimes. Right. Right. Stuff you saw when you were a little kid that you don't even remember. Yeah. And, you know, and I always wanted to do stop motion, but it's uh, I'm not a technical. It sounds funny saying this because my stuff is like I'm making robots and dancing right. skeletons and stuff, but I am not a technical person. I'm just a dreamer. Yeah. Dude, you could take all your works and get just get somebody a filmmaker to like come together right. with you and like shoot something just like um, like hello, literally hello. like who am I talking to right now. Yeah, <laughs> four days of just like putting something together and you could make something beautiful out of it. Yeah, you know, with yeah. the, already having the mechanics you involved you know and then because. Cool? That, that was like, you know, that was one of my independent study projects right away when I started doing filmmaking was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to do stop action. Cause it's like, it's, you're breathing life into something that's inanimate and you can immediately daily, you just like push it two time and you're like, Oh yeah, that shit's moving. <laughs> I, got, I, got, mm-hmm. I got a great idea. It'd be awesome if you had a big solo show and you had, uh, you know, some, this would take a lot of time and money, but eventually, you know, we're all going to be at that point where we're having these big solo shows and we got money behind us, have a big solo show and then make this short film as a promo for the for the show and have it include a bunch of pieces from the show all moving in a stop motion animation that's my idea for oh, the day. that would be amazing and then make the music <laughs> you can have that that's a musician Chet, you got to drop the tunes that's right. on it that's right that's right well there's something really beautiful about old school stop motion animation yeah. and it's weird because um do you guys know? Oh shit! What's his name? Now I'm becoming you and Liz McGrath. Um, <laughs> you don't want to do dang, that. I forgot the guy's name. You know, the, his name is to- oh, his name is uh, he was Toby in um, Labyrinth. He was a little boy. His parents are um, damn. His mom made, created Yoda, and his dad created the fairies. Really? Oh, the Fra- you know Froud. Brian Froud. Yes, Brian Froud. Mm-hmm. So I was talking with Brian Froud, and we happened to be in a fairy show together. Mm. And he works for Leica 
that stop motion animation studio Does in Portland. His, oh yeah, his son. He's an animator for them and a puppet make master for them. Is it Brian <laughs> Froud's son? Yeah, no, and yeah, no, Brian Froud's son. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Toby okay, Froud. okay, Toby. okay. That's Toby. Toby. Oh, okay, okay. And um, and the crazy thing is, is that you know, uh, have you guys seen that animation that won all those movies? It's called um, Kudo Kujo. Oh, I know. Ku uh, something. Yeah, yeah. It's like a Japanese. Us old farts. Well, anyways, what's really <laughs> sad and weird is that they're stop motion animation, but they incorporate computer animation. Right. And I find that sad because there is actually this scene in that movie where this origami kind of like flies around right, and swirls. Yeah, that's and amazing. Like, like fold up and wrap up and turn into little things. Mm. And I assume that was computer animation. That freaking wasn't computer animation. Wow. It was all stop motion. They used computer animation to make it smooth. Oh, they took out interesting. Glitches ah, because... Yeah. And then it just looked like a stop. I'm like, well, then it just looked like a computer animation. Right. So then, <laughs> yeah, that's part of the charm yeah. of, of stop motion. Yeah, there's a physical quality to it. There's, it's really like that that sensation of something existing in a three dimensional space that you can still feel on a two dimensional field when you're just watching it. It's really cool. Yeah, I, I, get, I love Jan and I love the Brothers Quay. I mean, I remember mm -hmm. being a little kid turning on PBS. I'd stay home sick from school because I was like, I don't want to go to elementary school today, you know. And I'd be like, I knew at two o'clock at PBS. BS that the Brothers Quay were going to come on and it was just so <laughs> creepy and yeah. weird and like wrong and made no sense and it would like I would have the best dreams after I watched that stuff. I you was know, like, oh yeah, yeah. You I know, have dreams tonight. That reminds me, the one time that I can remember where I did have a dream of something that I wanted to make, I ended up not doing it of course, but um, I did make something similar. I made a I did some, I eventually made this stop motion out of claymation of this like warrior guy, like a Frazetta warrior oh, wow. and he fights this it's like he has a nail for a sword and he fights this big monster with a mouth and he cuts its head off and then the head goes down and then a bunch of blood bleh, comes out of the neck. And that came out of this dream I had where I had this dream that I made a stop motion music video. And this is like probably maybe even the late 70s, like 1980 or something. And it was ACDC playing Highway to Hell. Yes. <laughs> in clay like i had i saw it claymation awesome. like angus young doing this thing you know doing his head <laughs> and it was it's like i wanted to do that so bad i thought that would be so cool but i ended up doing this kind of like warrior monster battle but anyway that that is the one time i had a dream i think that so it's happened yeah it's it happened. has happened it has happened when i was a kid wow yeah, oh man that's so cool though and yeah. it, that's the cool thing about la too is that when you're in LA, you end up, and if you're yourself, you end up, next thing you know, you're like best friends with your heroes. And um, right. I met the Kyoto brothers, and I was obsessed with Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, when you get the following. Killer Clowns from Outer Space DVD with the special bonus, you see all their old stop motions as like brothers. Oh, cool, cool. And, um, and for those of you guys who don't know, the Kyoto brothers are also responsible for the puppets in Team America. Right. They're... They're amazing people and they're so humble and I've shown with them at, at art shows and now they're like lifelong friends and they're like, anytime you want to come to the studio, if you ever need spot to like do a stop motion, they're so, they're like humble, awesome people. That's so And cool. they were my heroes growing up. Like yeah. how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is yeah. one of the good things about living out here is, uh, you know, you, you do, you get, you can meet your heroes, which is not always a good thing, but you know, oftentimes it is a good thing. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you know, one thing I did want to mention, it's like doesn't have to do with anything, but you did mention that you didn't like doing group shows. 
Uh huh. Uh yeah, yeah. Just for the just because it's not that I don't like doing them, just because it it's too financially risky to do. Yeah, that for, for you, me, for me for, at this point in my some... career. Basically, it's not like right. you know. It's just for me at this point. Well, yeah, you don't want to be in like a hot pink bunnies theme show or something. Yeah, you know? and, yeah, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> something outside of the wheelhouse that might you know it does, didn't make sense to me to spend the time when I know that I could do some other things that will definitely make money to maybe right. make money at this other thing. It just doesn't make sense for me right now. My, and my thing with um, theme shows is um, I actually like doing theme shows because it kind of forces me to make something that I never would have made. Yeah, that is and, true. Um, it does It does make you stretch a little bit. It's true. Yeah, and I'm like, man, I would have never. I actually just sold a piece at the Hive Gallery, and they had a robots and unicorns mm-hmm. show. And I made, um, I turned a seahorse into a little seahorse carousel with robots riding them. And I, n- I never do, elect- I'm, even though my I say robots, but they're more mechanical robots, I don't usually do electronic robots, but I made it mm. more electronic with electronic pieces. And it was super, I liked it. And I was like, man, I never made anything like that mm. with focusing on more modern, modern technology than um, mm-hmm. old school technology. And then uh, a, a, an art gallery, somebody who owns an art gallery in uh, Portland bought it. And, uh, yeah, so it's, I think, you know, different strokes for different. Yeah, no, group shows are totally great. And I definitely got my start in group shows and I've, and I still show on group shows. It's just that I'm not taking every group show that asks me now because a lot of, yeah, you have to to start (laughs) saying no. Yeah. And it's just, you know, there's a point where you, you are, you know, for me at this point, it's like sometimes a gallery will get in touch with me because I'm, I'll be their draw because I have a name you know, and so, mm-hmm. but then, but, you know, there's no guarantee they're going to sell the piece. So it's like, okay, wait a minute, who's getting the better deal out of this? You know, <laughs> right. and so that's, right. it's, you know, I'll usually. Well, especially sc- with your name, because your name is bringing all the folks in. So, right. And I've, using you know, you for your name. Right, right. And I, you know, have kind of worked hard to get to that point. So, I'll, I mean, I'm pretty open if I have time that I'll. If it's you don't it, have time. Yeah, I don't have time. But it is. <laughs> I'll tell you right tell now. Him, you know, tell him, Alvin. It is a situation that I'll say, you know, if you want to buy the piece up front at wholesale, I'll, I'll do it, and that seems fair mm-hmm. to me because then I'm not, right. you know, I, I'm, and then at, and for that you get a painting, my name, and I'll, I'll, I promote the show. So it's you know it's actually probably a smart way to to rather than uh, paying for promotions, it's a smart way to to go i think but what yeah you know it's cool i don't know so <laughs> but what <laughs> what's so funny um i'm trying to decide on whether or not to tell to tell you guys about what my year is about this yes new year. well that's we're we're at about an hour 10 so this would be the perfect place to kind of this would be the time wrap it up this so so this will be the 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 final Ave Rose. Story. The final nail in the coffin. No, I'm yes. just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's the perfect place to end on. So yeah, let's hear it. Um, I am I'm nervous because it's something that's just beginning and I usually don't tell anybody about anything and that's it's like so solid that no one could steal it from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, but but fuck it, it feels right. I'm just gonna <laughs> go out and say say it. Yeah. And big se- it was a big secret. And I told I think I told you a little bit about this at Designer Con. Mm-hmm. But I am trying to oh this is I found my life's purpose, guys. All right. <laughs> I figured out nice. what I'm doing with my life. Nice. I'm going to open up their first museum of automaton in Los Angeles. Oh, excellent. It's a museum of automaton related arts. 
Cool. Um, there's going to be a little theater in there that's going to be running stop motion animation. Oh, that's a great idea. And, um, it's going to go, you know, it's going to have, you know, not just automata, it's going to have related art. So that's puppetry. So marionettes, a, you know, animatronics. Oh, cool. That's great. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It's amazing. Totally I'm amazing. Try to turn the whole thing, the whole endeavor of me trying to make this happen into a reality show. Oh, yeah. That's wow, a great idea. Nice. You could, Pretty you crazy, could, you right? could, yeah, no, that's a great idea. You could, uh, oh, it's, it's a hit. That would be a Thank hit. You. It would absolutely be a hit. And you could listen kick, to him. You, he knows you could, I, I just know I got the feeling you could kickstart it too, just to get things, get the ball rolling, you know, Thanks. possibly well, kickstart it to get money to start it, even to make some little episodes and try and get it picked up. Well, there's a twist to it. The twist, I can't try to tell you guys on air. Yeah. That's, but if we, if you guys have like just a 10 more minutes after we cut, I want to tell you guys the twist just to get your advice. Okay. Sure. If that's cool. That's a great idea. I think it's a hit. Thank you. Teaser, teaser. All the audience <laughs> hating it right now. <laughs> well, I guess we're going to wrap it up. We're in an hour 10. Mm -hmm. This is a little bit long, so, uh, but, but uh, well worth it. And it Whatever, was... Liz McGrath had an hour and 37 minutes. Well, just yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's only because she kept going. <laughs> well, she got into that juicy stuff about the cult right at the end. And I was like, keep I going. I know, I know. That was crazy. <laughs> that was, that was, yeah, that was, that was amazing. But I mean, we're happy to have you back on again, you know, for yeah. things you didn't talk about that you want to talk about. Yes, yes, absolutely. And maybe that project will be moving forward by then and you could tell your secrets. Right. Yeah, and you got to plug uh, conjoined. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, well, first, yeah. Yay. Manager. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no shit. I need a manager bad. Uh, so, yes, Ave Rose is going to have a piece in conjoined, and Mike's going to have a piece in conjoined, and I've got that painting for conjoined, and I might get a new conjoined heart done because I do one every year, and I did just find the mold. So I might have Lee crank one out this week. So I might have a new conjoined nice. heart. I'm thinking silver. I haven't done a silver one black oily stuff running down so we'll see if that happens but nice. um yeah that's coming up uh let's see it's wednesday this, this saturday yeah we're gonna post wednesday so. it's saturday january 20th and if you can make it it's a crazy incredible show that everybody loves and tons of people go to and the art is really amazing it's it's kind of like a mini version of uh sorry a mini i see it as a mini version of guillermo's traveling art show he did you know, it's kind of like yeah. that type of artwork, you know, really kind of has that same vibe. So, yeah, come out, come out to Copro Gallery and you could, you could check it out at uh, coprogallery.com to get the info. But it's this Saturday, 8 to 11 p.m. or 1130 or something. Oh, my kids band's going to play there. The Ooh, steady, oh, nice. steady 45. So that'll be cool. And um, yeah. So thank you. Ave for coming on. Really appreciate yes, it. Thank you guys. It's awesome talking to you. Yeah, you have to you guys have to come to my studio. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just I want to go there. I just look at these pictures. <laughs> well, you know, I have I would love to, but I live in New Mexico, so there's a bit of a, a Are hop, you skip, be here for the show? Chad has less reason. No, I, I can't afford to come out this year, so I'm stranded oh, out here. Come on, guys, why don't you donate? No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Wait a minute. Maybe I after wish. we get the Patreon going and up and running and stuff, so Son of a bitch, I got all these alarms set on my phone. Sorry. Okay, so <laughs> thanks again. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Ave, for coming on. You guys can always find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast, Google Play, all those places you can rate and review us, share us on Facebook and Instagram, and let's just keep this thing rolling. We'll catch you guys next wait a Wednesday. Minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Where can uh, people find your work, Ave? Oh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at 
Ave Rose, A-V-E-R-O-S-E, 13, the number's 1-3. And, um, or my website, which is just Ave Rose Art. That's A-V-E-R-O-S-E-A-R-T.com. Nice. We'll put a link up there in the description okay, yeah. as well yeah. for people. <laughs> I'm all spelling out. Sorry. No, it's good. I do the same thing because some people don't ever look at the description. So like on the okay, phone, cool. it doesn't pop up on SoundCloud. So it's good to spell it out. Yeah. So yeah, turn it on, guys. Buy some Ave Rose stuff. Yes. All right. And don't be afraid to ask me questions. I'm here. We're all here to help you guys. That's right. It's all a big family, a big, dark, happy family. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, you guys. Let's uh, Thank you. catch you guys next Wednesday. All right. See you later. Peace. 